HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Carrie Karam. Kelly. Kelly. See, I was so worried about your last <laughs> name that I, I just miffed the easy first name. No worries. Carambula? Carambula. Carambula. Yeah. She married for, for the name. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. Hey, um, she is a graphic designer by day, uh, baker, maker, magazine maker, blogger, <laughs> by night, um, publisher of Remedy Quarterly, which is a fantastic independent food zine that talks more about, well, this most uh, recent issue, the heritage, the lineage of food, food stories, where things come from, and where they've been brought to in contemporary day. Um, it, it's a really awesome magazine in, what, its seventh or eighth issue? Yeah, we're uh, going to be publishing our eighth issue next month. It's... Uh, in editing right now, and we'll, we're hoping to ship it off to the printer next yeah. week, which is always exciting. Can you give us a little preview as to what the theme might be? The theme will be adventure. Adventure. So watch out. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, going to be exciting. I am watching out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Michigander in the house. You know it. Yeah. yeah from Niles. I'm from Niles. I uh, went to school in Kalamazoo, which is uh, kind of where I uh, always go back to now. I don't really have much family back in Niles anymore. So yeah. Kalamazoo was a great place to um, always look forward to go to in the summer and the winter with you, you know, you and I have Bell's Brewery love. That we do, yeah. And I was hoping that a bottle would come here today, but oh. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> Those got um, imbibed very quickly. They do. They don't last. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you grew up in Michigan, which is, um, I wouldn't say a particular state, but the Midwest has a very funny um, sense of cuisine. What did you grow up eating, cooking, remembering about food? Um, well, that's kind of one thing that has really inspired uh, what I'm doing now. I grew up eating not very much because I was an extremely picky eater. I uh, ate chicken fingers and macaroni and cheese. And Chickens that, don't have fingers. I know, but you know, you couldn't tell me otherwise uh, when I was growing up. And I really, I mean, I didn't even try tomato sauce on my spaghetti until I was a teenager. <laughs> I was like incredibly picky. So, um, but my mom was a really good cook and did, you know, like pot roasts and, you know. Cheese uh, balls. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a great <laughs> recipe for a cheese ball, too, if you want it. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Cheese balls. Just, like, kind of comfort food. Um, there wasn't a ton of... I didn't like vegetables, either, so I didn't really eat... <laughs> I There's not a whole lot of memorable things um, from yeah. growing up. Um, but that's not to say that my mom wasn't a good cook. I just didn't eat it. Yeah. So, so I mean, when did that switch from picky eater to kind of prolific... It, it really changed when I moved to New York. Um, that was a big turning point in my life is um, growing up, you know, only eating literally like macaroni and cheese and chicken tenders and then coming to New York where you can't really go out and order those things. Well, but like kids menus. Uh, you, yeah. But that's kind of embarrassing, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like, you know, you go out to eat with a group of friends and to not be able to choose anything that you like. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, so that was really the turning point when I finally decided, and it took me embarrassingly enough like two years to say like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna you know start trying new things pushing myself to um and, and um God bless my husband he <laughs> he has always been a real champion of mine and really helped me kind of overcome my fear of things so he would um order something that was a little bit scary and I would order a safe dish and I could kind of like try yeah. things that way and it it was actually really exciting um there is a benefit to being so picky is that I get to experience so many foods for the first time and remember it. So like I didn't eat mushrooms until I, you know, it was in my early twenties and, you know, like, but I remember when I did that and like really experiencing new flavors is one of the most exciting things I think is trying something new, knowing what it tastes like and really, um, just experiencing something new um is really exciting and not many people remember that yeah you know? but this is not a psa for telling people not to <laughs> feed their children no, mushrooms no. until they're no the no not at all <laughs> but i'm just saying there you know there is a benefit to it but yeah. no my kids if i ever have kids will definitely be eating their vegetables <laughs> yeah yeah because what is lost at least in in my mind in that sense is that there is no relation back to you know, your youth or your ethos and all that. Exactly, exactly. Um, but that's one thing, uh, 
not to go back to my magazine, but that's one of the things that I'll go inspired. back to that as much as you want. <laughs> okay. We're here for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's really influenced me in my life, in addition to being a picky eater, is that um, my mom died when I was 20 years old. And one of the things that she did before she died was give me a cookbook that had all her favorite recipes and all my favorite recipes in it. And, um, you know, obviously that's a devastating thing to have happen to you, but it's something that I can always go back to and remember things and experience things that she liked. And even though I can't like enjoy them with her, I can kind of do that through taste. So that's really, um, this this was a compiled, this was a composite cookbook, um, recipe cards of clippings. No, it was like this blank notebook thing specifically for recipes. And she just went in and, um, wrote down things that she liked and things that I liked. One of my favorites was brownies. So she, you know, and she has little notes like, don't overbake. This is Kelly's favorite. Or like my ginger cookies, which you'll find in the first issue of Remedy Quarterly. You know, she has the exact time, like, do not do 10 minutes. It's only nine minutes, you yeah. know, like, and she has these little notes for me. And that, that's a really special thing. And the idea of passing on recipes and the stories that kind of, um, you start to remember as you taste that, you know, taste memory, I think is really exciting. And to share that with other people is a way for me to kind of remember her. Yeah. And so. it's kind of, kind of cool. Um, from what you're telling me, it sounds like she also kind of catered this to your likes. Yeah. So I'm like, that's Kelly's favorite. Don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. nine minutes, not 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and yeah, that's just one thing that, um, yeah, and even the size of it is the same size as Remedy Quarterly. And I, I, I love um, the idea of passing on recipes from generation to generation or just from, you know, friends and knowing um, how special that is. Yeah. And so you have this food basis of, you know, growing up and familiar times with your mother. Where did graphic design come into play? Because that's a big part of Remedy as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, my mom also (laughs) influenced me in that way in that she, I was an only child and I was bored a lot. Um, And she always encouraged me to be really creative. So she sold Avon and she uh, let me have the boxes and I would paint the boxes all the time with like, I would just go in the backyard. It sounds so (laughs) weird, but I had all these like multicolored Avon boxes painted and, you know, stripes and little people. And, um, I drew, uh, cows on a pasture once and she hung it in our dining room. Uh, it's just a slab of cardboard, you know? And so she really encouraged me to be creative and she would buy me furniture to paint. Um, so I really knew that I, I liked to paint and I liked um, just being artistic and creative and using that kind of um, side of my brain. And so when I went into school, um, I actually went for education at first and realized I really was bored in the classes (laughs) and needed something that was more exciting. And um, someone she worked with daughter was going to the design program at my school and said how awesome it was and she had just moved to New York and I was like oh that sounds exciting so um I took a bunch of art classes and luckily I got in so um you asked about design right (laughs) that's how I got into design is just really um a passion for being creative kind of 
led me to wanting to do that every day. Well, and also having something tangible. Because when you first walked in the studio and I referenced something from a past magazine, you said, uh, once, oh, once yeah. we close you know, an issue, <laughs> I forget it, but at least you have something to go back yeah. to. And-, and I love it. I mean, I love, I also just love books. Part of it is that I'm a designer and I like... I like the smell of the ink. I like to hold things in my hand. I like to see, you know, beautiful illustrations or photography or even um, typography. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really exciting to me. I love, I love books like some women love shoes. You know, I could just go in the bookstore and just hang out for a really long time looking at the covers and, um, you know, looking through the pages. It's just really exciting to me. Yeah. So, I mean, is there a specific thing you look for in a book now, in a cookbook? Because uh, as I see it, typography is also a strong suit of yours. And why those uh, design choices? Um, I, I do have to curb my cookbook buying because there are so many. I think that's one of the great things about cookbooks is there most of them are really beautiful. So it's hard to choose between yeah. them now. So now I, I actually really love vintage cookbooks when I'm going um, to look for a cookbook. Um, I think that there is something really pure in the illustrations. Um, There is a lot of simple illustration, like using two colors and line drawings, and and they're all really wacky and fun, and I like that kind of um, sensibility of not taking yourself too seriously when you're in the kitchen. so I love that about vintage cookbooks. And I love finding just some weird, weird stuff in old cookbooks. Like I found this Jello cookbook that has the most beautiful cover, but the the recipes are <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do pick up new cookbooks now and then. And mostly it's because I am familiar with the author. Um, and often they'll have a blog or something like that. Um, and I'll pick it up because of that or it's from a restaurant that I really like um so I don't usually just pick up a cookbook on a whim it's yeah. because I I know something about them yeah do you have um places that you go to like uh, cookbook meccas in New York I know I'm a kitchen arts and letters kind of guy I just visited that for the first time this year and yeah. I was like why have I not been here yeah. it, it's I know why I haven't because it's so far uptown yeah. but um, I it's amazing it's, I love it's dizzying how much yeah, information is it's in incredible there. that's another place where I, I could just stay there forever I, uh, I have yeah. try to hide in the corner and You're the like, pile of you don't sometime. see me here <laughs> um, I love Bonnie Slotnick too yeah. for vintage um, but I also um, I live in Clinton Hill and visit um, Greenlight Bookstore a yeah. lot which has a nice little cookbook uh, section um, I love 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 omnivore books in San Francisco Um feel like I would make a trip just to go there. Um, and Celia uh, was featured in issue th- two um, and has been a really big supporter of Remedy Quarterly. So, um, And I like that she has a mix of old and new books as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are some of my highlights. Yeah. So, I mean, Remedy Quarterly is carried in um, omnivore books. I, mm-hmm. I see that it's carried internationally now, too. Which is yeah, kind of it's super exciting. Um, we... Every now and then we'll get someone um, kind of 
email us and say, hey, can you stack us? And we're, we're so happy to kind of extend our reach around the world. We're in Japan now, which is super exciting. So little by little, we'll, you know, hopefully be in all the best um, cookbook and bookstores out yeah. there. So. Well, you see how this topic is so international and, uh, you know, communities around the world uh, think of food in very similar ways. Uh, and this is the perfect example, heritage, mm-hmm. uh, the theme of this latest issue. Um, and in that, well, it's cool. You have Patrick Martins <laughs> uh, of Heritage Radio uh, talking about his absurdly mudded um, <laughs> lineage. I, I didn't even realize it's what uh, Russian, Latvian, Brazilian, Portuguese. Yeah, something like yeah, something <laughs> wacky like that. Let's see, Russian. Uh, his mom is from is Russian from Latvia, and his father was from Brazil and Portugal. So you know that's that's quite an influence. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, also within the issue, you have, uh, I'd almost like to call it faux Jewish, (laughs) (laughs) Japanese, Puerto Rican, Serbian, um, Kraut, (laughs) New England, Nantucket. I mean, uh, even Wisconsin, um, which is... Of course, you have to represent the rest in there. But all have very similar um, reflections about food and about how it played a part in their familiar lives. So that's definitely something that inspires every issue. That's kind of the tie that binds um, every issue of Remedy. So each issue has a different theme, but the thing that kind of ties it all together is I think everyone has a story about food. Everyone has food memories. Some of, hopefully most of them are great memories, but there's also those wacky, weird, or even unpleasant memories that we can kind of remember. And I think it's that the idea that I was talking about earlier about taste memory. And like, for me, it's when I make my mom's ginger cookies, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just totally taking me back to a place. But that could also be someone's, uh, I don't even know how to um, say this word, but Oh, Pfeffernoose. Pfeffernoose cookies, you know? And what was awesome about that is, um, you know, it's carbon copies it's xerox of, of all these old recipe cards i have you know i have one my oh, girlfriend's yeah. parents have one that we pulled out during christmas exactly and, like- and this was about how each generation there's a story in here about how each generation tweaks that their pfeffernus 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 yeah. recipe you know and it's always about tweaking and making in this often we have stories about how people grandmothers didn't write down their recipe so they're trying to tweak it so it tastes exactly like their grandmother's recipe and you know how one one uh, recipe really changes or grows or gets tweaked along throughout generations yeah when when my grandma passed i did get some of her recipe cards and um i've looked through them for years and tried to interpret and for a while i'm just like man she had poor handwriting and then i realized she pretty much made up her own language it was (laughs) muddled between romanian and english um and i couldn't cook from them at all wow um until i realized some movements and key elements i used to remember her you know grabbing for something and reaching for something and it's taken me years to put that back together and i mean it wasn't until a few years ago that i actually was probably the first one in our family put down her sweet and sour meatball recipe on paper. See, that's awesome. I love how it was uh, a combination of your memory and the written recipe kind of working together yeah. to create that. Yeah. I, I th- Things like that just really excite me and um, are kind of what keeps me going, you know, knowing that so many people have stories like that to share. They're, they're like unveiling little treasures. 
Excellent. Well, we're going to dig for some more adventure when we come back. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Here today with Kelly Carambula of Remedy Quarterly, um, as well as EatMakeRead.com and a contributor to Serious Eats for drinking in season. We're going to touch on those things in a little bit, but I uh, wanted to kind of dive into this issue um, about heritage. Um, what was so cool is that even though I mentioned Jewish, Japanese, Puerto Rican, etc. before, um, it's not necessarily what you think. Um, the Puerto Rican heritage uh, is a story about celebrating or not celebrating Christmas. Um, the Jap- I mean, uh, the Jewish is almost faux-Jewish about yeah. those that aren't trying to replicate or uh, understand another culture. Exactly. Um, it, it's such a cool thing to see how you know people are assumed underneath this guise of culture, but aren't defined by it. Definitely. And I think that actually, you know, there are different ways to interpret heritage. Some people really live their heritage, you know, like my dad was, I have a friend who's from Croatia and they know all the Croatian recipes. They speak the language, you know, they, they live and breathe it. But then I think you're totally right where sometimes if you're a few generations, um, um, removed from the motherland or whatever, (laughs) um, you know, it, it starts to kind of become diluted. And I think that you also get that, um, what you think the heritage is instead of what it really was. And you start to create your own heritage, which you start, you know, it starts to become influenced by where you're living now and, and what you have available now and things like that. Well, I mean, I don't even want to think of it as diluted as much as it is an iteration. Um, No, you're, that's totally right. Not to quote Patrick, uh, but in, in the interview you had with him, he says genetics predispose you, but culture creates uh, the rest. And I think it's so true, um, in, especially in reading these stories, that there are all these outside influences that, you know. And that's what's so yeah. exciting. Yeah. That to me, it's like, you know, like we were talking about tweaking recipes, you know, it's like all, all, everything around you really influences you. And 
with cooking, you have the ability to so easily change things or so easily not change things, you know, keep it the way you want it or change it to make it to your taste, you know? Yeah. So remedy is a reliquary. I mean, it is a place to hold these memories and recipes. Um, But it also is sensitive to culture because what's great is when you lay out the page in the story for Puerto Rican, Mm -hmm. it feels of Puerto Rican. Um, I'm assuming that was an intentional design Definitely. decision. And that was um, an extra special um, uh, illustration because the author actually illustrated it as well. So I feel like it, it feels even more um, uh, audiovisual sync, you know, where you have it really relates to the story um, because the author was able to illustrate it. But uh, that's one thing that seeing Remedy grow from, we're now uh, about to release our eighth issue, like I said earlier, and really um, evolving the visual identity of the magazine. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing is um, being able to cater the illustration or the photography to the story and really help tell that story through a a visual language as well as through the story itself and um, having illustrations that just um, kind of help tell that story a little bit better yeah well i mean the sukiyaki story um which is japanese yeah um, <laughs> did but you like that that was awesome but at the same time in that story there was the reference to log cabin maple syrup it, exactly and so uh we're just looking at that page right now and what i did was kind of look back at vintage log cabin um labels and the intro page is inspired by the the log cabin syrup label and so it's just a really fun um way for me as a graphic designer to really kind of flex some of those muscles and um as i said like earlier being inspired by vintage things that may may be lost you know to many people so what's cool too is that you give a you know, takeaway. Um, each story, or most stories, have a recipe at the end. In the Puerto Rican, it's the tostones. Oh. Um, what is that with the mojo de ajo, the yes. garlic sauce? Yes. Oh man, that's making my mouth water yeah. right now. <laughs> and I, I love that too. That you're right. There is a payoff at the end of each one. If you know you're salivating like I am, you can go ahead and kind of taste that story as well as read it. You know, and yeah. really kind of recreate it. And I. Th- to me, that's really important element is that it's not just stories. There, there's a recipe to go along with it because I, I love to cook and I think that our readers love to cook too and like to experiment yeah. in the kitchen as well. And I mean, I'm sure they want to experience what the writer has exactly. you know, put forth. Um, I, I was lucky enough to spend some summers on Nantucket and you have a piece about New England and strawberry shortcakes, which is so resonant of, <laughs> of, of you know, that time. And Exactly. Yeah, it, um, and that's one of our illustrated recipes. So it's um, a, a very visual recipe, which I think is a, a really um, fun way to kind of share a story as well. It's just through visuals. Um, and I really want strawberry shortcake right now, yeah, even though, too. but the strawberries would not be very good. No, no, you got to wait. You I know, know. Just... that's exciting, though, yeah. is to have something to look forward yeah. to. And looking at each and every page, you talk about that being an illustrated recipe. It feels like every page is standalone, can be torn out and put into a recipe box. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you trying to... I don't want anyone to tear any pages yeah. out of this <laughs> book, so I do not, uh, do not do that. But I do like each story to kind of be its own um, uh, 
its own standalone piece within a, a magazine. And one of the things that kind of ties everything together, in addition to them all being having a theme and being food related, is visually um, each issue has two unique colors to it. And that's as a graphic designer, that's a challenge for me to um, work with only two colors. This one is kind of a peach and a navy blue color and try to push those colors um, even further and create more colors and make um, each page exciting and interesting and different than the one before, each story yeah. um, different from the one before. So what, that's been a really exciting challenge. What two colors are adventure? Um, it's purple, like a deep purple and a, a mustardy yellow. Yeah, I'd love someone to take that out of context, me asking that question. That answer is, <laughs> what colors are adventure? <laughs> I don't know if they would come yeah. up with those same ones. Uh, I, I, I would have at least put forth uh, purple. Okay. Uh, that's one of my two adventure okay. colors. Okay, good. And in adventure, um, might you be able to tell us a little bit about what you're focusing on there? Um, there's There are a real variety of stories. We've got one um, about a woman who... It's adventures in the kitchen. So she has the kitchen to herself for once. So she graduated from college and is in in the kitchen herself and gets to decide every night what she wants to make. If she she wants to make a cake for dinner, she can make a cake (laughs) for dinner. Um, There's uh, some definitely travel uh, adventures. So um, there's one about a woman um, going to Georgia, the country, and going on a crazy car ride and ending up somewhere she did not expect to be. So there's kind of crazy travel stories there. We've got an interview that I'm super jazzed about with um, Paul Berglund from The Bachelor Farmer in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, which my husband Aaron and I went to um, last November. And we're just blown away by how awesome the food was. And it felt like an adventure eating there. It was totally comfortable but totally unlike anything um, we had tried before. And he has, the restaurant is inspired by Nordic heritage. And so I just thought that was so exciting. It felt like our dinner was a total adventure. And I knew after we finished and kind of stumbled home that I had to get an interview with him because it would be perfect for this issue. So yeah. that's really exciting too. Excellent. I also wanted to add a couple things uh, mm-hmm. remedies and cures these are subsidiary things to the magazine whereas there's so much amazing information in here you have these little quirky um antidotes yeah so um it's funny we've we've kind of started to go be more food based f- more food focused in the beginning um the whole idea of remedy was inspired by a um a crossing guard sharing a home remedy for a cold <laughs> and we thought wow, that's really amazing that all the, everyone has these kind of remedies that they kind of keep to themselves. Yeah. And what was that initial remedy? Um, it's in the first issue. I don't, it's, it was a crazy kind of, um, roots remedy for a, a cold. I can't remember exactly what the thing, but go to issue one mm-hmm. and it's in there. Um, and so we love the idea of just passing on these wacky little remedies that, pe- so we had like a remedy for hangovers and a remedy for common cold. And on our website, you can go on and add your remedy for anything that you would like and share it with everyone. Yeah. I saw that it was turmeric milk for cough and sore throat. Yeah. Every, everyone have turmeric yeah, on hand for the rest of this winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, he thought it was a good enough remedy to share and pass on, and it obviously works because, you know, he's he's still around and 
passing it on. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure too. That's how companies like Emergency or Airborne, even though I they, they have more medicinal uh, foundation, they they are there to be those remedies, be yeah. you know, those cure-alls. Because so. your grandma maybe didn't pass hers on yeah, to yeah. you. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe those started from grandma's special remedy or something you yeah. know, now they're probably totally <laughs> something different but um in this heritage issue you also have tips and tidbits a fun little page of you know with kind of random information um but i love this one because it was uh, birthday drinks and it gave you uh, a month birthstone color and then your drink so <laughs> i mean for january uh, last day of january get your drink on it was garnet deep red slogan sour february's amethyst lavender and the skyride fizz so. see that's um my love of vintage cookbooks it always inspires the tips and tidbits page that that we have inside because i think there are these really wacky treasures in uh vintage cookbooks and this was a um a vintage um cocktail book that i found and i just i saw that like horoscope-esque um drink birthday calendar oh this has to go in yeah. because i i love cocktails and i thought well how special is that <laughs> that each ho- birth uh, month has a special cocktail that's so exciting yeah i think i was a sidecar so i'm gonna have to start drinking those oh, a little i bit know more. you know any excuse yeah <laughs> it, what this fascination with cocktails isn't just a small one you now write for serious eats have a seasonal cocktail column um and on your blog eat make read ton of cocktails right now mm-hmm. it's like citrus cocktail season <laughs> yeah now. oh my god i'm loving it yeah when when did that start um that kind of, that started about two years ago i just i don't know i started making cocktails at home for my husband and i and then those posts started getting really popular um and I kind of made it so that every Friday we would have a happy hour recipe that was inspired by um, seasonal fruits um, or ingredients. And I think, you know, we've seen in the past few years how the cocktail kind of um, revolution has taken place and there, every restaurant has amazing cocktails. But it's a little harder for people to do that at home or to kind of think up new cocktails at home. And so I like to think uh, about cocktails like you do any recipe and thinking about how flavors can work together. Yeah, the most recent drinking in season is a persimmon sour, which sounds quite delectable. I had never had a persimmon before oh, yeah. that, and uh, it was really exciting. And that's one of the things that I love about the Serious Eats column, which is um, different than the Eat, Make, Greed one, is that you know they challenge me to find uh, fruit that's in season or fruit that or vegetables even that I I've never tried before thought about putting in cocktails so that's really exciting too yeah so what is eat make read uh, how is that different from all your other projects <laughs> <laughs> eat make read is the thing that started it all so I started eat make read in 2007 I believe uh, or eight and um, as a way to kind of get over that pickiness that I talked about earlier um, oh. it was a way f- for me to have a public place to share these recipes, these adventures in the kitchen that I had kind of started taking on. And I originally started um, kind of reviewing restaurants on it. That slowly fell away. (laughs) Um, And it became just a place for me to connect with a community of people who um, liked food just as much as I did and were there to encourage me to try new things. And it's kind of evolved to be a place for me to share new recipes both food and cocktails yeah i mean when you were 
back in Michigan, not eating tomato sauce. Did you ever think you'd be concocting pomelo fizzes and no, blood orange and cakes, Meyer <laughs> lemon curd, Satsuma and sage cocktails? I mean, I didn't know what those things were <laughs> in the first place. But I mean, it's a running joke in my family that who would have thought Kelly, the girl who only ate butter on her noodles, would you know have all these food adventures? But it's so exciting to me, and it kind of shows that you never know where life is going to take you, and to just kind of um, go along for the ride and always be open to things. It's really exciting to me. Yeah. Well, excellent. I'm so super excited to see uh, the next issue uh, of Remedy Quarterly Adventure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Purple and mustard yellow. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Uh, so you can go to RemedyQuarterly.com. Yep. Um, if people want to submit ideas and stories in the future, how do they do so? Um, you can go to RemedyQuarterly.com and we have a submissions page where people can um, uh, sign up to be alerted when our next issue, what the next theme will be. Yeah. And we always, we're always looking for new contributors, especially male contributors. Men, for some reason, don't like to contribute. Hey, I give you a story <laughs> in number three, and I'm coming back. Okay, all right. I'm looking for you. Ladies are, yeah. of course, welcome. But I'm just saying, um, yeah, and we, we love to have new contributors. Um, hear your stories. Um, it's what makes it exciting. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.